Hi, I'm Chloe Canning. Ruminate Leadership acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land which we recall this podcast, the Terrible and Yogara people. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Lead with Courage, the podcast that celebrates the bold and inspiring stories of leaders making a difference. We're your hosts, Andy and Cherie Canning, and together we'll dive into the minds of the trailblazers, the risk takers, and those who embrace life with a growth mindset. On this week's episode of Lead with Courage, we welcome Lisa Pagotto. Lisa has a fascinating journey in creating one of Australia's leading niche travel brands, Crooked Compass. Lisa sold her home to fund her business and what unraveled on her journey will have you absolutely spellbound. It's an edgy seat ride. We absolutely love chatting to Lisa. Her experiences over the last six or seven years are, are more than what most people will go through in a lifetime. So thanks for joining us, Lisa, and welcome. Lisa, thanks so much for joining the Lead with Courage podcast today. No problems. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. I hear you're on the beautiful central coast and, and we're in beautiful Brisbane, some pretty cool places to be. And one of the first questions we'd love to kick off with is what does Lead with Courage mean to you? Leading with Courage. Oh, that, that's a very interesting one. Um, I'm very much a person that, you know, it, it took me a little while to get to this point, but um, yeah, I guess since I've had Crooked Compass, my own business, it is all about absolutely backing yourself, um, trusting your gut, following instinct, um, and, you know, beyond yourself, when you have a team, encouraging other people, um, pushing them to give things a go and knowing that you've got their back if a decision is wrong or it doesn't work or it's not, not quite right. Um, and if you do do something wrong, putting your hand up and having that ownership and saying, I, I stuffed up, I, this was way off or yeah, I read that totally wrong and having the confidence to be able to do that um, and not playing the blame game or looking for excuses, just being completely honest and transparent. Um, all of those things build integrity, which to me is, you know, the backbone of leading with courage. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And um we come from a shared love of travel. I think our backgrounds, as you mentioned, um, with Crooked Compass. And I'd love to, if we can, jump in to talk a little bit about that experience, I guess your leadership, the business, and also more recently those um, times, I guess, leading with courage through COVID in travel is absolutely relevant. So can you tell us a little bit about um where the business came from and, and a little bit about the business and, and where it all started. Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been in the travel industry for 22 years now and uh, I had been in sort of various roles from a retail travel agent through to behind the scenes in reservations for a, a wholesaler. I'd been a tour leader in Europe and I just, I'd never quite found my right fit. I knew I loved this industry and this is where I belonged, but I just I hadn't found my click. I hadn't found where I really belonged. And I came back from um, two years of, of being on the road in Europe and went to an adventure tour operator. And that was where I really kind of felt like, okay, I think I've found my space. This mm. is my type of people. These are my types of travelers, the team, they're, they're my sort of personality. And that job sort of changed everything for me. It gave me incredible opportunities. Um, I had a brilliant manager who saw something in me who just pushed and pushed and pushed, um, which I am forever thankful for because that sort of led me to where I am now. Um, and unfortunately, that business actually ended up going bust. 
Um, and yeah, I lost my job. Um, but I was picked up by another tour company um, who wanted me to build a new uh, revenue stream for them effectively because they could see their business was going to plateau. And I had this network of people for in this adventure space that were pretty burnt from what had just happened to them. So, um, yeah, I was effectively hired by this other business to build a new touring brand and spent the next 18 months creating 300-odd touring itineraries, getting the brand up and running, trading, and wow. I had a light bulb moment of I have literally just built an entire business for somebody else. Why aren't I doing this myself but in my style of travel? Um, and I never wanted to have my own business. It was never in the thought process. I knew nothing about operating a business, how it worked. Um, but what I did know was how to do sales and marketing. I knew how to build product. I knew how to lead tours. I knew how to work with foreign exchange. And so I had all of the, I guess, the front facing fundamentals and learning the operation of a business. Well, you can learn that behind the scenes. Um, and so that was really, I guess, the, the short version of how the idea of Crooked Compass came. And from there, it like I, I've always written, I've always dreamed of one day being a travel writer. And, um, you know, I, a lot of our marketing collateral, it's, it's me writing and I, I'm sort of quite a creative minded person. And, um, I was writing a blog at the time and this is, this is 10 years ago now. So it was when blogging was a way of influencing people. And the blog was called Crooked Compass. And it was me writing all about these weird, wonderful, obscure things that I did in my travels. And just, it was one of those things where timing was just spot on and mm. people were finding it and reading it and commenting and saying, you know, how do you find out about these places and how can I travel like you? And I've gone, ah, oh, surely there's something here, but like, what is it? What is it? And so gradually sort of all these moving pieces started to fit together. I had this content, I had a, a brand, well, it was a blog, but it was Crooked Compass. I had this experience and just that missing piece was how do you run a business? And um, I was doing a mentorship at the time and my mentor helped me find the right people to fill in that that gap so that I could turn Crooked Compass into, well, back then it started with six small group tours and uh, here we are today with over 100 departures. Wow. Wow. I just, I love, love, love it. I think um, we haven't met before officially, but, you know, for me, pre-COVID, I'd been in the travel industry, um, mainly in, in flight centre for 17 years and a couple of years um, at a, a small cruise company out of Sydney. So for almost 20 years in the industry and just hearing people talk about the industry and their experiences, it just light something up inside me of so much love for the industry and, and what travel gives people, what it brings to life. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. No, it's, it's, I agree. It's a very addictive industry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cost me a lot of money. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm going to say we've invested a lot of money. Exactly. Um, yes. That's, yeah. that's probably the right term. Isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where are some of the hot destinations people are booking right now? So it's, it's really interesting. Obviously, we've only had our borders reopen for 18 months or so. And I honestly thought that we would find ourselves selling what we would refer to as your more mainstream, like your Perus and Vietnams and, and that sort of thing. And that for us, um, that hasn't really come back yet. The more extreme mm. destinations have been what have been doing really well, which is great because that's what we're about, pushing boundaries, going outside the box. So for us, like one of our biggest destinations this year has been Algeria in North Africa, which wow. is 
yeah, very confusing to a lot of people. But for us, it's it's just kind of just going. It's just going on its own without us doing any real nudge behind it. Um, Tunisia is another one. Like the whole of that sort of North African coastline is sort of come from nowhere. Um, and it is very refreshing to see that um, our travellers who are predominantly Australian have clearly taken this downtime to really look, where can I go that's a little bit different, that's potentially controversial, that's not overcrowded with tourism, and, yeah, we're, we're reaping the benefits of being in that space. It's awesome. That sounds good. What does what a trip to Algeria look like? Um, if- in, enlighten my senses here. I can kind of feel myself getting excited about that. Yeah. So if you're into your, you know, your uh, Roman Empire and archaeology and that sort of thing. So some of the most um, incredibly preserved Roman ruins are in Algeria. Um, so you've got that archaeological element. You've got the desert element as well, which, you know, a lot of those North African and Middle Eastern countries do do fringe on, on the Sahara Desert. Um, and Algeria has its own version of experiences that are on offer there that are, I guess, a little bit more traditional, um, less touristy than in some of the more developed nations, which has its own appeal in itself. Um, beyond that, too, you also have a lot of, I guess, more modern history around the political conflicts and um, geopolitical nature of um, what's happened in Algeria in recent times. And then beyond that, too, there's still a lot of mud brick villages that are still very traditional. So this really time frozen culture um, so you have this incredible blend of all sorts of different elements through different periods of history all entwined together that also have that Mediterranean flair on the coast, then that more almost crossing into Middle Eastern culture as you get more interior. Um, it's, yeah, just a fantastic combination of everything that you could want in in a destination in that on the continent. What a blend. And then I'm just thinking about the food in that region as well, like that combo, like you're saying, Mediterranean but Middle Eastern and like, oh, yum, yum. Yeah, absolutely. And the markets too. Don't forget, good market up there as well. (laughs) So great. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I'm always curious to hear travel industry stories around the impacts of COVID, um, I guess, for you as a business owner um, individually, you know, independently for you personally and also yep. for the business. But um, could you share what that experience was like from 2020 till now? Yeah, uh, in one word, hell, <laughs> um, but in a more elaborated version. Um, at the beginning, it was very confusing. Um, mm-hmm. It was very unknown. We were on an incredible growth trajectory and 2020 was set to be our biggest year. We were just in this incredible space. We were growing at a rapid rate. And, you know, for me, watching this idea come from nothing to what we had as forward bookings for 2020, it was just completely unfathomable that we had gotten to this point in such a short period of time. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, we were a very lean team. We were a team of seven. And as the rumors started to sort of circulate through media, there was a lot of uncertainty. And, um, you know, I literally remember having conversations with my team saying, that's okay, it's only our China tours that are going to be impacted. That's all right, we can survive without China. And then it became, okay, uh, we need to go via China to get to Mongolia, North Korea. Okay, we've got another big portion of our revenue that's now not possible. Okay, now we need to cancel our entire Asia touring season for the foreseeable future and it just kept going and going and at the beginning it was very much 
oh, this will only be six weeks. It will disappear. I think everybody was in that same sort of mindset. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it was one of those things where when you lead a team, you're trying to be so positive and then, you know, you're rocking in your chair behind the scenes being like, what do I do? What do I do? Nobody has an answer. And uh, yeah, the minute that it was announced that borders had started closing around the world, it was not looking good and we knew that we wouldn't be far behind. You know, Australia is so conservative when it comes to safety of its citizens, especially in regards to travel. And the writing was effectively on the wall. Um, and the big question mark was we didn't know for how long. So how, how do we preserve our cash flow? How do I try and look after my staff? How do I look after myself? Um, mm-hmm. At the time I was married, I had a young child who would have been three at the time. And how do I be a mum? while my business is going through this incredible transformation, I knew I was going to have to start terminating staff. I still needed to be a wife at home and everything just spiraled and exploded very, very quickly. The government came in with JobKeeper, which was great for some staff, um, but for others who were contractors, it didn't cover them. Um, Mm. So yeah, it, it ended up all happening very, very quickly and we ended up cutting all the way back down to myself and just one staff member who was able to be kept on JobKeeper through till September 2020. And all we were doing was cancelling, 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 refunding, mm-hmm. cancelling, trying to get money back from overseas. And then the European Union um, bought in sanctions where no funds were allowed to leave Europe. And so we had money everywhere all over the world. We didn't know if we could get it back or when we were financially liable and it put incredible pressure financially on the, on the business. Um, at the same time, me, I, I was incredibly stressed. As you mm-hmm. can imagine, I was yeah. clinging on to my one staff member as someone who understood my world and what I was going through, who I could be completely transparent with and who I could actually say, I have no idea what's going on. I'm terrified. And she knew that the minute JobKeeper was over, her job would be gone too. Um, so it was a very tr- fine line of trying to be supportive of her, but knowing that if that government support ended, there was no way that we could afford to keep her with no income for the foreseeable future. And at the same time, this stress from my business put incredible pressure on my marriage. Um, my husband had um, already was suffering from quite significant mental health issues before the pandemic even started and then trying to support me um, dealing with all of this. It, yeah, it, it was a very bad recipe um, and became a very, very toxic environment for our son and um, unfortunately ended up ending um, towards the end of 2020 and we went our separate ways for the best interests of our son um, mm-hmm. so that he was not in a household that was, you know, not a healthy family life. Um, So, yeah, so enter the second year of the pandemic, 2021. I was now not only trying to figure out what to do with my business, I attempted the pivot like everybody else to domestic. And in theory, it worked brilliantly. We created nine, or we, it was just me at that point, nine um, domestic itineraries that were unlike anything else in the market. You know, we were going to remote islands up off the coast of Arnhem Land, Tiwi Islands, places wow. that were just on brand for us, um, but obscure. You know, we weren't interested in doing the Great Ocean Road or, you know, the Rock Reef and Rainforest. Everybody else did that. It needed to stay true to Crooked Compass. And 
it sold like hotcakes. It was so incredibly successful. And I was like, yes, we can make it through. We can recover um, doing this with domestic. And then the state border closures meant everything was cancelled. Oh, and so we basically kept going through the same process over and over. Um, my health started to deteriorate significantly. Um, I know a lot of people said that they stacked on the weight during COVID from stress eating. I went the other way and didn't eat. I ended up in hospital with these incredible chest pains. And at first they thought, oh, she's got a clot from the AstraZeneca vaccination. It turned out that um, I had six cracked ribs and I'd actually um, ended up with anorexia and my body was eating its skeletal system. Um, and Are you I was, for real? Yeah. This, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so oh this, this was all happening as a result of being a single mom, trying to figure out how to be a good mom on on my own, dealing with emotional backlash from the marriage failure, trying to keep the business surviving. And then on top of that, because I had no income from the business, I was juggling three other jobs at the same time. I was working remotely, making appointments for a Cairo. I was working part-time as a teller in a bank because that was deemed as an essential worker. Um, and then on top of that, I was, I was contracting to um, another company to help them with their website content. Um, and yeah, basically trying to make ends meet to pay a mortgage on my own, support my child and um, hopefully have a bit of spare money to be able to reboot the business when, um, whenever that was going to be possible. Oh so, my goodness. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> that's, a, that's enough for a lifetime, let alone, yeah, well, you know, uh, 2021 um, pandemic. Uh, I, when I caught up with Josh a couple of weeks ago and, and he you know, it's really like you've got to meet Lisa. Like Lisa is just <laughs> he wouldn't superhuman. even know some of this story. <laughs> yeah, well, well, he's going to find out. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it it kind of all that kind of thing. And I, I, I could see what he, I could see what he means now. Like that, that man. That there's so much there that you've had to go through to. You know, would you say with all of those things you talk about the anorexia, you talk about the business evolution, the pivoting, the, the the marriage where are you at today? Like what, mm. what, what parts of those are, you know, sort of in the revision mirror, if you like, and form part of your story now, and you can talk about confidently and less emotionally and what, and what parts are still, you know, what, like I'm, I'm 20% of the way through that now. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty, and I was pretty open with it when it was all happening. So I guess with my position, which makes it quite interesting. And I guess this leads back to your very first question that you asked me about leading with courage. Mm. Um, what's really interesting, and you guys will know this from being in the travel industry. For me, when I started Crooked Compass, there were a, a lot of people in the industry who were like, wow, I wish I could do what you did. I wish I could go and do my own thing. I wish I could back myself to be able to create my own brand. I wish I could do. And so, especially the home-based travel agents, a lot mm. of them, without sounding like arrogant or like a, a complete tool or anything, but there's like a little Lisa fan club where there's these little followers in the industry who all they do is be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. How do you do this? How do you do that? And so for me in the pandemic, so many of those people looked to me, even when I was going through absolute hell in my own personal world, people were looking to me going, well, what's Lisa doing? She always comes up with something innovative, something fresh, something inspiring. And so for me, even in my darkest, most challenging times, I had to keep that going. And one of the things that has made Crooked Compass successful is me being super transparent. 
Um, if something's really challenging or obscure or dangerous, I will say it how it is. And so I chose to do the same thing with my personal life. Mm. I didn't actively talk about the anorexia stuff at the beginning because that took months to figure out what was actually happening and why I was getting all these fractures and that sort of thing. But what actually happened later in that year was I ended up getting diagnosed with a melanoma. Um, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so it was kind of like, let's go backwards again. But I was really public with that. Um, I shared it on my social medias because people were looking for anything at that point. Everybody was so desperate. Everybody Mm. wanted a connection with somebody. Everybody wanted someone to be able to give them a boost of something that was positive. And whilst that's negative, and again, another hit to the health and, you know, could have potentially ended very badly, it was something that people could relate to. And when you're going through a crisis, people feel lost because they can't relate. They can't find people who, you know, are feeling what they feel because people don't talk about it. And so whilst I didn't have anything exciting to say like, hey, guess what, guys, I've just been, you know, hiking through this remote village in the middle of wherever, what I could do was share my story that I knew people had gone through marriage breakdowns. I knew people had gone through various cancer treatments. I knew that people had all sorts of different mental health battles throughout the pandemic. And if I was just honest and open about it, surely there would be people that could resonate with that. And it did. Mm. And um, in terms of answering your question, Andy, I have absolutely no issue at all talking about anything that happened. Um, it is still emotional in terms of when I talk about it, like most of my brain has blocked that, <laughs> blocked that trauma. Um, but at the same time, that is what happened and that is life. And, um, you know, things can either get you down and keep you down or you keep pushing forward. And so for me, I, I'm a very positive person and I really try and show people that just because something rubbish comes your way, unexpected and flips everything upside down, there is still a way through. Um, and the same thing with business, you know, a lot of businesses are finding it difficult in this new era. Things have changed significantly. There's issues with staffing. There's issues with attitudes of, of team members. Mm-hmm. Um, and all challenges can sort of in a roundabout way be managed in the same sort of process for solution, you know, finding solutions and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I just honestly believe that the more you talk about these things, the more people, well, get to know you. They, understand your integrity they give you respect when you're being super honest and transparent and whether that's personally or professionally they tie in together when it's your own business and your own brand um so yeah no issues at all talking about any of it it is all in the past and you know the future is looking incredibly bright my health is on track um but not for one second do i discount that any of that happened but on the flip side you can get through it with the right structure and support yeah, wow. That's the. I'm amazed at how quickly um, it seems like if we trace back the timeline to 2021, 2022, and now we're in 2023, how quickly that evolution for you has happened. It seems like you had a significant amount of things, which, you know, one thing would be enough to knock the majority of people off you know, kind of off their perch, if you will. Um, and then you've had a succession of things. And then in a relatively short period of time, you sort of, you know, as you said, compartmentalized or, or blocked out the trauma um, to then get to the point now where it's sort of like, yep, onwards and upwards and and going through there. What um, would you, could you talk a little bit about, I guess, what some of those 
um, some of those things that you do now to kind of keep you, mm-hmm. you know, engaged and and part of your recovery, I guess, if you will, with with certain yeah, your the, habits now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love absolutely. to hear about that. So I'm I'm very much a person that processes through talking. Um, I'm not that person that bottles everything up and brews and stews. I just can't function like that. I am that annoying person. That I'm that person like, too. Me, <laughs> <laughs> I need to talk through. I need to I need to process. So, so that's me. So during the pandemic, um, I was very lucky for the fact of, of the one positive of, of getting, being separated was all of a sudden everybody wants to support you more so than, you know, when you're married and you're in your little safety net. So, you know, I had people coming out of the woodwork that just wanted to talk and how are you going? Are you doing okay on your own? And I had these health things going on in the business. And so randomly, like if I was divorced right now, it would probably be a very different situation. Um, but I think because of the timing when it happened and everybody was craving connection and wanting to talk because we were all trapped at home, that that probably worked in my favor mm-hmm. uh, because of the way my personality is and the way that I process change and conflict and and that sort of thing. So I'm still very much like that now. If something's bothering me, I will say it. I Sometimes it works against me. Sometimes I'm too black and white. I'm not very good at being gray and you know, fluffy around the edges. Um, if, if there's a problem, I'll, I'll call it out. Um, and yeah, my, my team pretty much know that <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of how you process each of those traumas for me, my son was my priority. He comes first. Um, and everything was about what is he seeing? What behavior is he seeing from me? Is he seeing me moping, crying? stressed is he seeing me not eating in front of him is he seeing what behavior am I demonstrating to him and how is this impacting him that was probably the number one thing that I was most conscious about you know one of the big reasons we separated was to do with what our relationship became and not wanting him exposed to that sort of behavior and so I was very conscious about well what does my behavior look like as a single mother figure Um, and yes, whilst I might, you know, go and cry behind closed doors and fall apart in front of him, that wasn't allowed. And so I sort of use that as a bit of a template and still now too, you know, there's a lot of challenges that happen, especially in business at the moment. Travel is still very clunky and there's a lot of things that happen that have never happened in business before because it's all changed. And some of it can be really overwhelming, very confronting, um, and, you have a choice. How do you behave in front of your team? How do you behave in front of your family? And so it's, yeah, it was a conscious choice and it's not easy um, at all to, to switch between almost personalities or facades, but it's something that I try so hard to do. And then, you know, when appropriate, if it can be controlled, then fall apart with the people that can support and trust and, you know, help, help piece it all back together when you don't have to be in that strong rock facing, um, you know, I'll always still be vulnerable, but as a leader, there's an expectation that you have the answers. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. I've just, I think this is the least I've ever spoken on a podcast so far <laughs> because I'm just like taking all this in. I'm like, wow, wow. That's just a lot in such a short amount of time. Uh, how old is your son now? He's six now. Six. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Did I see that you um sorry to cut you off there, Oh, you uh, did. Andy Canning. 
I believe becoming a mum was also a big journey. Yes, yes, it was. So my son is adopted. Um, he's adopted from South Korea. Um, and yes, that is a massive journey compared to a nine month pregnancy, yeah. <laughs> which I haven't done. So I can't compare it to. Um, but yes, the process to um, adopt my beautiful boy started, it took three years. So the process wow. started before he was even born. Um, and that process in itself is, is very, um, confronting. It's very challenging. You have social workers, you have caseworkers, and they basically delve into every possible part of your life to make sure mm. that you are fit to parent um, through to, you know, we had all sorts of challenges thrown at us when we started that process. Crooked Compass was quite young. Um, I wasn't drawing a proper, proper wage from the business at that point, and that was against us. You know, we lived with my in-laws at that point um, because we were, everything was going into the business. Um, we did have a house, but we had tenants in it. And we were basically saving so that once we knew our child was coming, we could move into our house and renovate it and provide, you know, a beautiful home for, for mm -hmm. him to grow up in. Um, and so we, we were very cautious financially with um, what we were doing whilst we were going through this adoption process and it just it worked completely against us. They kept delaying the process. You're not living in your own house. You're not drawing a proper salary. And then... Um, my my uh, former mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer and they said you can't adopt a child while you've got a terminally ill family member because if you were placed, you wouldn't be emotionally stable. And wow. it just went on and on and on. And you just kind of felt like, is this a game? Like, are you just seeing how much you can push us until we break? And yeah. if we don't, then we'll be approved. And that effectively was what it ended up being like. Um, so yeah, after three years, we were told that there was a little boy for us. Um, we were given limited information on his background and met him 11 months later. Um, and yeah, did court over in South Korea and then went back again to take custody of him and bring him home to Australia, which was in, uh, 2018. Wowee, Lisa, <laughs> you, you have... You've gone through a lot. You've gone through a lot and you're just sitting here smiling and I think the positivity, it's its really quite inspiring and contagious and, yeah, really incredible, incredible. Oh, He's a you. very lucky boy. Yeah, yeah, and he is. And, you know, he came to a country, he, you know, he was one at the time, so mm. he could speak Korean. He'd never heard English at all. Um, so bringing a child into Australia, it was snowing in South Korea when we took custody of him and we brought him home two days before Christmas. So summer. The heat. Oh. Um, even still now, you know, he's six years old and he sweats like anything. It's like he's never actually acclimatized. <laughs> um, we definitely don't bring him to Queensland too often then. Yeah. 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 yeah but no, he's, um, he's, he's awesome. And yeah, he's a happy, healthy boy. And yeah, very, very, very lucky to, to have him in my life. How beautiful. I say you sure are. I'm, I'm so interested to know um, what are some other things that happened in your life prior to 2018 as well? Was it kind of, um, I don't know if it's for today's podcast or not, but was it, how would you ca categorize your life, I guess, prior to the pandemic and prior to starting the business? Was it as, as relatively straightforward? Was it smooth sailing or were there, you know, kind of the organic ups and downs um, as significant of the ones that you've experienced over the last few years? Uh, yeah, there were certainly a couple of other significant um, events. I guess, yes, yeah, so most of my life was pretty normal. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> even my career was was pretty normal, just you know, following the the career path, getting the opportunities where they were available, um, finding the right management who would support you. The usual office politics of you know people who don't gel well with a, a young, ambitious female who you know wants to prove that she can do something incredible with her career. There's always the tall poppy syndrome, people who like to knock you down. I guess that happens in most people's career in some way, shape or form. But what um, really sort of set Crooked Compass up was in 2016, I um, applied for the TV show Shark Tank. Um, And it was something that, again, was not on my radar. My dad actually said to me, I think that you should apply for Shark Tank. And I was like, why? They wouldn't want Crooked Compass. Like everything on that show is tangible, like a juice or a bar or a piece of tech. And he was like, no, 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 they're always looking for something different. Just apply. And so I applied and I kept getting through the next round, through the next round, through the next round. And then it was, okay, we need you to come in and pitch to the producers. And they were like, this is the date that actually ended up being on my birthday. And I was due to fly to Kenya to escort a group that day. And I said, is there any other date you can do? They said, no, this is it. And I went, oh, what do I do? What do I do? So I bailed on my Kenya trip, sent another guide, and I went and pitched to the producers. And I was so nervous. I couldn't string a sentence together. I was a complete bumbling mess. And I just thought, what have I done? What I should have gone to Africa. Why did I even bother? Like, this is just rubbish. I was terrible. Um, And then I didn't hear anything for a few months. Then they rang me and said, we want you to film. You're in. And I was like, what? <laughs> what wow. Um, and so, yeah, it got hair, makeup, all mic'd up, ready to go, sitting in the green room, um, absolutely shitting myself because I'd never done anything like this before. Um, and then one of the sharks was rushed off to hospital with suspected heart attack and the filming didn't take place. No way. So that all fell apart. And then I was called back a month later to refilm. But all the adrenaline had gone by that point. And, you know, that buzz of, oh, my God, you know, I, I'm someone who I succeed under pressure. I thrive under pressure. And that pressure was gone because I knew how it all worked. I'd been there for a day and I felt really flat. And I was also really sick at the same time. I had a flu. I sounded terrible. Um, and anyway, then it was my time to to go on. And I was just like, come on, I need those nerves to come back. I need those nerves or I, I know I'll fall flat. And finally, they, they did kick in when I was walking down that entry where the doors open and you walk into the shark tank or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, filming that was incredible. It was a two and a half hour take that ended up being cut to 12 minutes of TV time. Wow. It was done in one take. It is reality TV to the extreme where the TV makes it look like this, but it happens very differently on set. Um, Who was the crew? Who did you have as the judges? The Sharks. So we had Mm. Steve Baxter, Naomi Simpson, Janine Ellis. um, Andrew, is that the other? Yeah, Andrew Banks and Mm. Glenn. um, Oh, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. And the Pet Barn. Pet Barn, Glenn. The Green Yeah, Mm. I can't think of his surname. Um, But, yeah, they were the five Sharks. So I didn't get investment on the show. Um, Mm. The business was too high risk. It was just myself at that point. And if I got hit by a bus, that was it. Um, however, one of the sharks did offer to mentor me after the show. Mm. And this was a huge opportunity for me. I ended up moving into this shark's office. I had access to their marketing team. We ended up diverting our phones through their call center so that, you know, we had a bit more of a professional structure. 
I was able to sit in on a lot of the senior exec meetings to get an understanding as to how a bigger business operated. Um, yeah, from a learning perspective, it was a money can't buy experience. It was incredible. Wow. Um, that um, all went very, very pear-shaped, unfortunately. Um, this shark ended up offering to buy Crooked Compass a couple of times and I said no each time. Um, they asked if they could then invest. I still said no. Um, and then it got to a point where Crooked Compass had just completely exploded from that coverage on TV. Like it really put us on the map and our database just boomed and it sort of never went backwards from there. And it got to a point where I needed to scale and I didn't have the cash flow to do what needed to be done based on the, the rate of the business growth. And so I ended up in an agreement with this particular shark of a loan and over five years, whatever I hadn't repaid would convert to equity. Um, that allowed me to bring on a sales team of seven. Um, it allowed me to do our biggest brochure print run and do all of the flight center expos, which, you know, we couldn't afford to do without this sort of, um, injection of cash. Mm. And um, yeah, there were three people that needed to sign myself, a business partner and as in a business partner of the shark and the shark. I'd signed, the business partner had signed and the shark's signature was missing. And we were at the 11th hour now of me needing to sign contracts for these new staff, send brochures to print, pay for flight center expos. And oh yeah, 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 signature's coming tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And I was like, no, no, no. And my dad had always said to me, don't do anything unless it's in writing. Don't do anything unless you have that signature. But this shark kept saying, no, it's all good. It's all good. You have my word. You have my word. And so I proceeded and went into this incredible amount of debt, bringing on all this stuff, these brochures, and, um, yeah, doing these these expos only to have the rug pulled out from beneath my feet. And I found out by accidentally being copied into an email that said, hasn't anybody told her I no longer have the appetite for this? And that was how I found out that the deal was not going through. And, um, yeah, my world fell apart because I was now in significant debt and did not have the cash to pay for it. Oh, when was oh this, Lisa? Goodness. This was... Uh, the week before I took custody of my son. So, oh, my goodness. Yes, 2018. This is me about to become a mother for the first time in a week and this happens the week before. And, yeah, this was, I guess, my training into COVID as to what it's like when your business is stripped away from something that is not in your control. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. Um I had to stoop to the lowest of lows, ask for advances on inheritances, apply for every possible zero interest credit card. I had my accountant trying to scrape together business loans, all sorts of things to try and get out of this. Um, and eventually I had no other option but to go back to this shark and say, you've put me in this position, you need to help me, which to their credit, they did. Um, they gave me a personal loan. And, um, yeah, that basically bought me time to, to trade out of a lot of that debt. Um, but yeah, not, not ideal. Oh, oh my goodness. And I, you know, I'm listening to this story and the one thing that really strikes me is the level of integrity you hold in the fact that, I mean, you might've had to sign some kind of, uh, <laughs> some kind of legal statement, but 
I don't think that's the reason. I think the integrity you hold not to be naming someone and just yeah. to, yeah, just shows the kind of human being you are. So kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, it's um, it's it's one of those things. I mean, running a business is not easy. And, no. And if it was, everybody would do it. And you can't predict these things. And, yeah, there are true sharks in business. And that is how some people succeed. And the I'm, irony. The I irony. Know, I <laughs> it's what? How people succeed from, you know, being the good guy um, and doing things with respect and integrity. And unfortunately, the business world is made up of both. And that's why it is the way it is. Um, but, yeah, not not an experience that I would um, really want anybody to experience. So don't accept anything unless all the signatures are there. <laughs> Wow. Wow. And then for you to still choose, you know, that integrity and the honesty and the vulnerability, you know, that that to me is like the epitome of leading with courage, isn't it? You know, just to show up and not to be pulled into the vortex of that kind of world um, and but to rise above it is, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's hard because, you know, when you're in that situation, Sometimes you do want to play dirty and you do yeah. want to be that person that can be nasty if you really wanted to. But is that going to benefit my business? No. Is it going to benefit me personally? I might feel better for the 10 minutes after I've said what I want to say. But yeah. big picture, no, it doesn't It doesn't change the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, yes, that, that one, I did document that as that all unfolded. One day that will make a great story in a book. <laughs> I'm really excited to buy your pre-release of this book. Are you writing a book? (laughs) No, but I get asked that all the time. If I had somebody that could be my scribe, I would do it. But yeah, I personally don't have the time to to do that right now, maybe in my retired years, whenever that comes in the distant future. There's a beautiful um, speaker and someone I follow called Chelsea Pottinger. I don't know if you um, know no. her. She runs a business called EQ Minds. Okay. But she she's um, she does some great work and she has published a book and she speaks about she had a ghost writer um, and she's like doesn't, she's like, oh, I'm being honest, like I'm running a business on my mum, like I, I've got all yeah. these things. So I'm not, and her ghost writer is called Summerland. So just Put that in your back pocket okay. one day. Maybe someone can write your book. I'm sure there's other ghostwriters out there too. Um, yep. But yeah, she can write your book because it sounds okay. like, Got well, it. if this is not enough in itself, just what we've heard here, I'm sure there's more to it too. But this is, um, well, what's some incredible experiences. <laughs> one of the things we talk a lot about or we hear heaps with um, the guests on the podcast but also in the work that we do is just around core values and personal values. It sounds to me, without you having articulated any um, intentionally right now, but it sounds to me that you're quite a values, like values-led person, that you're clear on who you are and what's important to you. Have you got the, like a handful of like, yep, these are my values or whether that's in Crooked Compass or Lisa or, you know, what is one is the other in some ways. So, yeah, yeah how, how clear are you on your values? Effectively, that is what it is. Um, what is me is the business and what I what I try to instill in the business and what I would like to think is what has been the backbone for the business becoming, you know, the success that it is. Um, for me, I think that going through all of this adversity is probably the friendliest word to use. Um has really made me identify those values. They were probably a bit gray before that, but especially mm-hmm. coming out of um, that tangle of nightmares that was through through the pandemic, 
um, it's really made me be much clearer on what my boundaries are and what I will expect and what I expect of others and of myself mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, right from the beginning, I've always, always been about integrity, honesty. That is what builds respect. That hasn't changed. But in terms of, you know, especially in the travel industry, we all copped so much flack from whether it was from the public or other people within our industry. You know, travel is emotional and, you know, people spend a lot of money. It's one of those top three things that you spend big dollars on in your life. And a lot of people lost that. And unfortunately, we were the brunt. Um, you know, somehow it was our fault that the world had shut down and somehow we'd stolen money and somehow, even though that's not the reality of the situation. So, you know, now for me, in terms of the way people speak to me when there is conflict, um, I am much more clearer around what I will accept and what I will shut down and what I will walk away from. Um, you know, I've, I have always been an honest and integral business person and in my personal world too. And, uh, if you can't get that across to somebody when you're trying to find a solution for somebody, you're never going to win. Um, and sometimes you just have to cut your losses and you have to pick your battles. Um, and that, that's something that has become clearer and clearer and clearer as the business has gone along and has, as I've developed coming through a lot of these challenges too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've said it all the way through honesty, integrity, trust equals respect. And that, that that's mm-hmm. really my backbone personally. And then what's brought into the business as well. Yeah. You can see that you, that is so clear and yeah, beautiful, beautiful. What, what do you do to develop yourself these days? Um, well, I do do a lot of reading, so I'm going to look up your, your recommendation. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'm very much about self-education, um, not only through what we do at Crooked Compass, but for myself personally, a lot of what's in my personal world transpires into the business too. So, um, yeah, I mean, for developing myself, I sort of bounce between one book that's business related you know, for example, at the moment I'm reading um, Winning by um, Jack Walsh. Um, and then the next book I'm reading is something to do with either a destination that we visit or something that will, I guess, provide context to allow me to do my role better. So mm-hmm. my next nonfiction book is called um, From Bhutan to Blacktown. And, you know, a lot of people know that Bhutan is in the Himalayas and it's one of the most beautiful, pristine incredibly magical places on our planet but a lot of people do not know that they had an incredible ethnic cleansing um, and there were people who had different ethnical ethical ethnicity in their backgrounds that were removed from that country mm. and my knowledge on that is quite limited but I want to know more it's a mm. destination that we sell I want to understand it because what we do and quite often when I'm doing things with media I go controversial I talk about both sides of the story and that is my way of bringing integrity into our product. We're mm. not here to tell you that this is what a destination looks like. We're here to give you both sides and you take away what you want when you go and experience it. So the reading and getting that background information, that that continues to develop me and I bring that across into the business. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, it's more just taking time out for me, um, especially after what's happened over the past few years, especially seeing what stress can do to somebody's health um, without you even realizing that it's happening. Yeah. Um, mm. I do make a lot more time for me, whether it's just going for a walk on the beach after after work 
or like even just today, I'm working from home. I took a lunch break and I sat outside on our deck in the sun and just sat there. I didn't take my phone. I didn't have my computer. I just sat there with the birds and, you know, just that needing to zone out, to reset, to, you know, refocus for, for what's coming for the rest of the day. Um, so, yeah, th- things like that. And, of course, travel. I travel whenever I can. Well, I'm sitting here thinking I've got to ask you a couple of travel questions. While it may not be a lead with courage thing, it's definitely an Andy and Cherie interest thing. Well, oh. I've got I've got three. Um, and Andy, you tell me if I, if any add any. My my questions are: How many countries have you visited? Where's your favourite? And where's the next place you want to go? Okay, so I've been to 116 countries. <gasps> Wowie. Wow, I'm like 71 and I thought I was pretty that I thought that that's was pretty, pretty decent. Good. That, that's pretty good. Not oh good my goodness, no way. Is there anywhere left? Where have you got left? Yeah, I haven't done I haven't done um West Africa and parts of Central Africa. Um and I haven't done I haven't done a lot of um Central and South America to be honest. I've done bits and pieces, but not extensively. So you've you've picked a flag maybe, but as far as like how many places and locations in those countries, there's still a lot of ground to cover? In in those two continents, yeah. I mean, Asia, there's very few countries within the whole of Asia and the Middle East too that I haven't not that I have not been to. Mm. Um yeah, but in terms of my favorite destinations, this is the question I get asked a lot, and it's a really tricky one to answer. Of course. Yeah. I, I mean, I should be more specific. It's like your favorite based on some kind of criteria, right? The most um hot, cold. Yeah, the food, the people, the scenery, the experience, most memorable, the most shocking or surprising. I should give you a subcategory, but what where what do you fall on? I've got a top three that is okay. pretty much my standard answer and most people will go, are you insane? Um, <laughs> so the first one is North Korea, um, obviously a very controversial destination. However, mm-hmm. regime aside and the humanitarian issues aside, that country is so naturally beautiful that people just have absolutely no idea, you know, uh, hiking in some of the mountains in North Korea, you could be in the Rockies. You've got this pristine water, these incredibly sheer granite mountains. You've got snow. Um, it is just, you have cherry blossoms. They have cherry blossom season in North Korea. It is just not what you would expect. It is mm. absolutely stunning. And coming back to, you know, the way that that country functions, it is so confusing and so completely mind boggling that for someone who is very curious minded like myself, I can't understand it. And that fascinates me. Like mm-hmm. how, how does this function? How does this country still exist in this way, in this world? Like how is this possible? And that intrigue puts it at the top of my list because it's not the same as everything else. Yeah. And whilst it's not necessarily the right or wrong way for a nation to operate. It's the curiosity that makes it up there for me. That's cool. Um, number two is Syria. So I went to Syria in 2008, so before all of Mm -hmm. the situation that um, has happened over the past few years. So I saw a pre-war and the hospitality, the food, the history, like Damascus, the old markets, some of the little villages, like from the Middle East is my favourite part of the world and this is just tradition through and through. The people, everything about it is so, so beautiful and um, for me it's my favourite Middle Eastern destination 
And whilst it's still under do not travel at the moment, things are really improving over there. And I'm so excited, you know, for that border to open or not the border, but for the travel warning to drop off that hopefully in the not too distant future to allow people to, to be able to see that again. Mm, mm. Um, and number three, I guess this is, this is where a lot of it all started for me was Tunisia. So Tunisia in North Africa, um, it was the first country that I went to as a 20 year old. Um, when I went and did my, you know, gap year overseas for the first mm-hmm. time, everybody wanted to booze their way through Germany and France and I was not interested. Um, and I actually went with my nana. She took me to Tunisia. She used to teach over there when I was younger. Um, and she'd always spoken about wanting me to go to Tunisia and meet her friends. And my parents were always like, no, Lisa's not going to Africa. That's dangerous. And so the minute I was able to go on my own, I went and that was the first country where I had ever heard call to prayer, where I'd been exposed to the sort of the Muslim culture. I'd never seen things like goats being slaughtered and hanging in the street and you just go and buy one and take it home and whip it up. Um, so it was completely fascinating to me. And that is what started my intrigue of I wanted to see what other people had in. And so mm-hmm. that, that had to be at the top as well. Oh, that's so awesome. So good. So good. Where do you, where do you want to take your son? Where's the next place you want to visit that you'd like to take your son? Um, so he's booked, we're going skiing in Japan um, in January and I've just booked to take him to the Cook Islands next year. So I guess a bit more family friendly type activities. Yeah. Um, but no, he's, he's been pretty lucky. He came to Sri Lanka with me when I was developing some product over there. So he's, he's done the odd um, thing that sort of pushes the boundaries a little bit. Um, came to Africa with me in January as well. Um, yeah, I, I try, I mean, he's at school now, so it's difficult. I can't always bring him with me, but when I can, I do. So great. That That is literally for Andy and I, well, I say us, but definitely there's a big drive, um, for Chloe to see our daughter. She's six as well, just to see as many countries as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and clearly, obviously the last couple of years, with six-year-olds, you know, they've had a couple of years where they can't have the opportunity to yeah. travel. So, yes, that it's it's such a thrill. It's such a thrill to take them and adventure and see how other cultures live and how other worlds, other parts of the world exist. And, yeah, wonderful. Such a blessing. Yeah, it, is. it is. And to see the things that they pick up on and mm. what they remember and, yeah, their, their minds are incredible at that age. Yes, so important. And I think, I don't know about you, but I almost feel traveling with a child changes the way I'm seeing the place too, because, you know, when you're traveling through adult eyes, it's just through that lens, but then I'm imagining, oh, what's this like for Chloe? How must this feel? We, you know, um, just, just those crazy moments. We're at an airport in Port Moresby at four o'clock in the morning for a domestic flight a month or two ago. And it was, chaotic and it was just that moment of what is this like for her right now it's still dark outside there's we're probably like three of the only five non-local people in this queue it was all a bit crazy but you're like wow what's this like for her and I think she just thought it was a bit funny (laughs) just a bit entertaining I was a bit nervous but she was like yeah people are saying hi to me yeah yeah. because everyone makes a fuss over them yeah, this this little white kid with the blonde hair with the blue eyes yeah. is our daughter. So it's like, yeah, she was sticking out like a sore thumb in that queue. They were yeah. all smiling at her and, yeah, she loved it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And you do. I mean, as a parent, you're automatically in that protective mode too, which puts a different lens on. Uh, but yeah, somewhere like Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. Yeah. <laughs> That's certainly an eye opener. A little different, a little different yeah. to Fiji. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. I think we've got maybe one final question for you, if that's okay. Yeah, um, go for and it. The last question we'd love to know is what is the kindest thing that someone's done for you? Well, this is going to tie this up very nicely, to be honest. Um, so my little shark tank situation that I shared earlier, when I was kind of in quite a low point being like, how do I get out of this? How do I get my business to be able to clear this debt? Um, it was International Women's Day and I went to a luncheon and there was a session where a lady who I've quite admired for some time was hosting this next session. And the session was write on a piece of paper, someone who inspires you, who you've never had the courage to connect with or reach out to, um, but who you would love to, but you just don't quite have, have the guts to do it. And I put her name down on this piece of paper and just because of where I was in my headspace and what I was sort of going through, I thought, I really literally have nothing to lose at this point. I've effectively lost everything. I'm just scrambling to keep it all together. If she says, does anybody want to share? I'm going to put my hand up and I'm going to walk to the front of that room and I'm going to give her my business card. Yes. (laughs) And I said to my table, there was 10 of us. I said, I'm going to put her name down. And I told them, this is what I'm going to do if she asks to share. And then there was this guy on my table who was the managing director of a travel company, mind you. And he said, you won't do it. And I went, excuse me, you watch me. And now I was even more determined and I wanted to punch him in the face, but that was not appropriate. Um, anyway, she, um, she did say, would anybody like to share? And I did put my hand up and she said, uh, yes. And, and who are you? And I said, oh, my name's Lisa. I'm from uh, Lisa Pagotto. I'm from Crooked Compass. And uh, my person is you. And she was kind of like, what? And I walked to the front of the room and I gave her my business card. And she just stared at me like, what the hell just happened? Um, the next day, her EA contacted me. We organized to have lunch a week later. And she said to me, I, I don't know anything about you. Um, I've heard of your business, but who are you? What's your background? How did you get here? Tell me your story. And so I told her pretty much everything I've told you guys today. I told her the Shark Tank situation. I told her the story. And she said to me, what's your figure? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, to get you away from that shark and to get you out of this situation, how much do you need? And I said, what What are you talking about? And she goes, from the moment you opened your mouth, I have believed in you and I want to be part of the ride. Tell me your figure. And I just sat there probably giving her the look that she gave me when I handed her my business card. And I said, oh, roughly it's X. And she said, okay, can you email your bank account details to my EA? And I was like, what? And she's like, do it right now while I'm sitting here with you. And I didn't really know what to do. So I did it. And the next morning there was a significant amount of money in the company bank account. And I rang my accountant and he's like, don't touch it, don't touch it. This needs to be drawn up legally. Let's get the solicitor involved. Um, But she saved me. She, um, again, right time, guardian angel. That is the kindest thing. Oh, my goodness. That anyone has ever done. Zoom doesn't show this off. 
very well, but I've um, got, yeah, I feel quite emotional. I got tears oh, in my I'm eyes. It's, that, that is the, that's life kind of going full circle in its own beautiful way, isn't it? You know, like taking you out of the jaws of a shark, quite literally. Um, I was yeah. just waiting to get that pun in there. Um, yeah. And, you know, just kind of delivering you just the saving grace that you need. That's, oh, that's yeah. It that's was so the beautiful. lifeline. It allowed me to get that person away from my business, my life, my everything. It allowed me to refocus, reset get back on track, not worry about that financial burden. Everything was cleared within about a month. And, yeah, we got back on that growth trajectory until COVID hit. But, um, yeah, I think silver lining, having gone through that that nightmare, probably made me a little bit tougher than others um, with how to deal with literally when shit hit the fan. Um, So, yeah, not that I would ever have wanted to go through that at all, but – you know, with everything, you have to find a positive to be able to keep moving forward. And yeah, that, that is, I will be forever grateful for that. Oh, Lisa, that I'm just so teary. My contact lens almost <laughs> fell out and that's not ideal. Um, that is just so beautiful. That human being, the generosity, like I, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm thinking that's where you're going with that story. I'm like, are you, are you going to seriously say that's what that person did? And and your guts and intuition to put your hand up and say something I love. And just for people, you know, Andy, like that's, I'd love us one day. This is, you know, one day if you have the financial means to be able to do something like that yeah. for someone. Oh, absolutely. Pay it um, yeah. It's just in the meantime, it's your time and your energy and your, you know, all these other ways to, to be kind, but just to be able to, for someone to do that is Wow. Now I really want to know who that person is. Yeah, um, but they want to remain completely anonymous. That is fair. That is fair. And and even more beautiful. Um, yeah, wow. What an absolute. Are they still in your life you, today? Yeah, yeah, they are. And, um, yeah, she, well, yeah, that investment became a shareholding in the company. But she's a completely silent investor. But, yes, absolutely, she's still involved. Wow. Beautiful. Oh, Lisa, I'm so grateful for you sharing everything, your story, your family, the business, just what a blessing this conversation's been. And, yeah, I, I, I'm i so excited to keep following where Crooked Compass goes. One day maybe we'll go on a Syria tour. I'd love to be <laughs> yeah, 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 you over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but thank you so, so much for just trusting us with your story and opening up and sharing this and yeah, what an incredible, incredible moment this has been listening and connecting with you. Thank you so, so much. No, thank you so much for having the opportunity and for, for wanting to, to know. So yeah, very much appreciated from my side. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for joining us on the Lead with Courage podcast. We illuminate leadership and it's our mission to inspire and grow the leaders of today to create a better tomorrow. We hope and trust that this episode has given you some insights and joy to empower you to live your biggest, best life. If you did enjoy the episode, we'd be so grateful for you to rate and share wherever you listen to this podcast. And until next time, go and lead with courage. Illuminate Leadership is not a licensed mental health service or a substitute for professional mental health advice, treatment or assessment. 
Any conversation in this podcast is general in nature. And if you're struggling, please see a healthcare professional or call Lifeline on 131114. 